You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's go to God's Word as we continue in our Advent series. Today we're going to John, uh, well, listen, John chapter 1, we've been in that for a while, right? And John 1.14, which is where we would be next, is the most anticipated climactic proclamation, I think, in all of Scripture. It is this proclamation that the eternal God takes on human flesh in order to dwell with his people. This was that long-awaited fulfillment of God's promise that comes true in the person of Christ. But that's not where we're going today. You got to come back Christmas Eve to hear that message. Okay? Yeah, you like that? Cliffhanger. Today we're at John 3, 16. Yeah! You ever heard of that? This morning we tackle the most famous of all passages, John 3, 16 uh, through 21. Let's go to God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word. This Advent, I mean, and, and, and all throughout the year, we talk about the gift of God's Son, but in particular throughout the, the month of December and leading up to Christmas, we, we reflect deeply on the gift that has been given to us. God has given us His Son, who has died for us, lived a perfect life, and died the death we deserve to die, and raised from the grave, and ascended into heaven. And this, this beautiful gift, we, we, we just behold, and we embrace, and we look upon and it's a good gift. And there are some gifts that are hard to receive, that are difficult to receive. I'm sure you've received those gifts around Christmas time that are just really difficult. You ever opened up a gift on Christmas morning and it was a book that, you know, was entitled, you know, lose, lose 10 pounds by Valentine's Day or something like that? You ever uh, get a book that says like over, overcome selfishness once and for all? Yeah. Uh, seven steps to becoming a, a person people want to be around, I, <clears throat> or some titles like that. Uh, some gifts are uh, hard to receive, but maybe really helpful. In other words, some gifts are they're hard to receive because to receive them, it takes a little bit of admitting that you need it and that it is good for you. This most famous of all verses, John three sixteen and the surrounding verses, the most famous passage that you don't even need to be in the church and you know this. Football players, you know, will wear it on, uh, you know, on ink on their face. Uh, people will um, put it on shirts and, and coffee mugs and things like that. But to receive this, even this most famous of all passages and good gift from God, to receive it, it takes a little bit of admitting that you need it. And sometimes that can be hard. It's hard to hear, but wonderful to receive. Hard to hear, but wonderful to receive. It's the most compassionate of all verses, and the most confrontational. 
the most compassionate of all verses. God loves us. He gives his son to us. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What a compassionate, life-giving verse. And yet so confrontational. John 3.16 is on t-shirts and mugs, but John 3.18 is not for some reason. The beauty of it all, the beauty of this verse and how we find it and how we receive it, we see in this passage and we see through three of God's actions that he presents to us. What does God do? We see God's judgment on humanity. We see God's love for humanity and we see God's sacrifice for humanity. We're gonna look at that this morning as we walk through. Let's look at first God's judgment on humanity. This is an interesting phrase, right? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some will take this to mean that God does not confront people in their sins. So people will often come to John 3.16 and say, God loves the world. And then, and, and, and use this first, they see God did not come to condemn us. He did not come to condemn the world. And what some might think of that is, is that God does not come to tell us we are wrong. He's concerned with just taking care of us and saving us. That he comes to, to extend mercy and unconditional forgiveness to us. He doesn't come to condemn. And, and this is an important passage. We need to ask ourselves, why does, why does John tell us, the writer of this, of this story, the gospel story, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He's telling us this because if we look at the other verses around it, that he has no need to come into the condemn the world because the world has already condemned themselves by rejecting the true light and loving darkness. So he's saying Christ is not coming to tell you that you are in judgment and have condemned yourselves. You've done that fine yourself. I want to tell you a story. You know, some say that our earliest memories are around four years old and some who have exceptional amygdalas can even remember earlier than that, maybe three years old. Maybe think back to your earliest memory, three, four, five years old. Well, I have a core memory from that time around four or five years old. I grew up in the um, cornfields of central Ohio uh, in a house, not like in the cornfields, you know, but in a house. And when you have things that you need to throw away and, and you, don't, you don't put them out in a, in a you know, in a, a trash can and bring it to the curb. You don't take it to the dump. You, you build it up in a huge fire, uh, pile and then you set it on fire. That's what you do in the country, okay? Uh, and so that's what we did, right? You set everything in a large pile, you set it on fire, the pile becomes a blaze and then it dies down into just a huge pile of ambers and then those ambers become, you know, ashes and it's just this big, soft, gray pile. And I remember, uh, you know, my father and, and, and uh, some some of his friends were around and they told me like, do not play in that. It looks like a fluffy pillow of, of, of gray, you know, ashes. Do not play in that. It's, it's very dangerous. Um, and I thought to myself as a wise young four-year-old, what, what do you know? Right? That's what I thought. So long story short, I, I have the burn scars still on my foot to prove what I did. Uh, even all, all these years later. Uh, I remember jumping in uh, to this pile and immediately feeling the, the, you know, the, ash, the, the, the ambers underneath uh, smoldering my feet and uh, couldn't get out and just panicked and screamed. There's, here are things I remember from this. I remember the conversation before I jumped into the ashes. I remember the, a screaming that followed and then I remember a man running towards me, grabbing me up by the armpits and pulling me out of the pile. I don't remember any conversation afterwards. I don't remember anything of like, I told you so. I don't remember a lecture from anyone. 
because it was obvious, right? I needed no one to tell me what I did was wrong. I had the scar to prove it. You see, I, I tell you this story because this is why when, when, when this passage is saying that Christ came into the world and he doesn't condemn the world, he doesn't sit down and give us a lecture of all the things that uh, we did wrong. It's obvious what we did wrong by the consequences of sin that are in our life. There was no judgment, no condemnation needed. There was no lecture of right or wrong, not because they were incapable of such insight in my life, but because the consequences of my disobedience brought judgment immediately. The consequences of my actions were all the I told you so that was needed. And I have the scars to prove it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Not because he's just too nice and he doesn't like confrontation. It's not about that. It's because we've condemned ourselves for loving the darkness more than the light. Love doing things our own way rather than God's way. Love taking our own thoughts, our own wisdom, thinking, well, what do you know? I will do the things that I think are right. And God has no need to prove his point. Now we know, why, now we know when we look at all of this and kind of thinking of this analogy of, of living in darkness and, and living in a, a world of darkness and the consequences of sin, not just out there, but in our own life, now we see why Jesus was sent into the world. He's on a rescue mission. He's the one that's, that's running into that pile to pull us out. He's the one that's rescuing us. He's rescuing uh, people who don't yet know that they are drowning. He's rescuing people who have rebelled against a, a loving and good God and now sit in a pain of their own doing. He has come to, to rescue us, rescuing those who have no power within themselves to find healing to find rescue. And this is why it's such a beautiful passage. This is why John 3.16 is so compassionate, so merciful, so wonderful. But he comes into a situation where we are in a spiritual state of disobedience and deadness before God. There are many ways that we find ourselves in a state of condemnation in this world, right? He doesn't come to condemn because we're already judged by living in darkness and disobeying God. The Bible tells us actually that we enter into the world in a state of condemnation, right? We don't start out with a clean slate. Uh, we don't even start out neutral. We start out bearing the heritage of guilt uh, that, is a bent, that has a heart that is bent against God in every way. So we enter into the world uh, condemned. We enter into the world bearing the guilt of disobedience. The world also condemns us, right? Things happen to us in this world. You all know it. Things happen to us against our, against our power, against our plan. Cruel and unjust things happen to us beyond our own control. We are broken by the world because the world is filled with darkness. We're born into condemnation. We are condemned by others, and then we also condemn ourselves. You see, we make choices. We do things. We, we choose our comfort over God's truth. We cause our own trouble at times. We do this, as John says, by loving the darkness rather than the light. And this is the situation that Jesus comes into. People love darkness more than light because they don't want to let go of the darkness. They don't want to let go of sin. They don't want to take responsibility for their sin. They don't want to let go of the comfort that, and convenience that is so good in their life. They don't want to have to admit that they were wrong. This is the situation that God sends his son into. It's a rescue mission. 
It's a rescue mission. The, the reality of our own state of judgment now provides us this backdrop for the love of God, right? You see the brightness of the stars because of the darkness of the sky. And that, that backdrop of knowing why God sent his son makes the reality of his love even more visible to see. And so God's love for humanity, let's look now at the love of humanity. So this is what John says. The author has been doing the whole time in his gospel narrative, he's been describing the state of the relationship between the creator God and sinful humanity. Through Christ, you and I and everything in the world and all of creation has been created. We looked at that in John chapter one. And in Christ was life and this life was revealed to all people as the only way, the only truth, the only life. But the world, you know, pulled a uh, Frank Sinatra, right, on God, said, I'll do it my way. Thanks very much. This is what the world does. So the life came into, the light of the world came into the, into the world and said, this is life. Follow me and you will find life. And they said, we'll do it our way. And now the state of that relationship between a good God and the people who created was in a state of alienation and separation and brokenness because that's what darkness does. Disobeying the word of God and the truth of God leads to separation. It leads to brokenness. That's what it does. It alienates us from good. Think about it in all relationships, marriages, parent-child relationships, coworkers, friendships. At some point, relationships experience conflict and and people begin to pull away. And both parties are perfectly content to place the blame on the other, right? It's your fault. Well, if you would have been there, such, you know, if you would have been more such and such, if you would have done this or done that, I wouldn't have to do this. And so we keep shifting blame, right? It's your fault. No, it's your fault that I did this. And now it's, you know, it's it's your mother-in-law's fault. You know, it's like, what? What happened? And on and on we go. And as long as defenses are built up, as long as we're placing blame on the other person, as long as we're doing that, no one takes responsibility, the relationship stays broken. But then something magical happens, right? One person has to initiate. One person has to be vulnerable. One person has to act humble and say, you know what? I'm sorry, I was wrong. And in a few moments, that person says, you know what, I'm sorry too. I could have done things different. And what happens is a relationship that is pulling apart from each other is starting to move together. And that relationship is beginning to be restored. John teaches us that there is enmity between God and those who he created. There is enmity between him and all of the world. And 10 out of 10 times, it's not God's fault. 10 out of 10 times, it is your fault and my fault. Any separation that we experience between us and God is because we have loved the darkness more than the light. Jesus is the light and in him there is no darkness. He does not just do good things. He is good. He is righteous. He is pure in nature. He does not know how to be guilty of any wrongdoing, thoroughly and thoroughly, completely innocent in every way. And we are told that we love the darkness more than him. 
and yet it's him who moves towards us. It's completely reasonable in an argument for us to expect the person who is more wrong to start to move towards us and admit that. We are the ones that hate the light and love the darkness and God is the one who moves towards us. Why would a person do that? Why would God do that? Why would he make the first move towards us? John tells us why he would do that. In the midst of all the rebellion and disobedience, God decided that despite how wicked you and I had become, he wants the relationship to be restored. Whenever someone walks away from a relationship that isn't working anymore, they have decided that there's something in their life more important than that relationship. Maybe it's never having to admit, admit that you were wrong. Maybe it's not wanting to face difficult situations. Maybe it's not wanting to face the pain of being responsible. Maybe it's some other form of selfishness. But when someone moves away from a relationship that isn't working for their own comfort, they are not being loving like God is loving. God moves towards us when we're running in the opposite direction. Why would he do this? John says, because he loves us. God is motivated in all that he does for us by love. He wants that relationship. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you so much that even as you are running in the opposite direction, loving darkness and hating him, he says, I still want you. To what degree? I will send my son to die for you. Here we are given the ultimate example of true love. True love. Despite pain, despite being rejected, despite, being, um, despite our blatant disobedience, we see the faithful, steadfast love of God. We've never met anyone in the world like this. We've never met any human who can extend this kind of love to us. We need to see the backdrop of that darkness in which we live and the darkness that we have loved in order to see how beautiful this motivation of God's love for us is. The condition of the world at the time of Christ's coming into the world was spiritual, moral, and social darkness. And the true love of God can only be understood against this backdrop that the world has gone dark. But listen here, John is not just talking about the darkness out there. You know, the what's wrong with the world? Those people. You know what's wrong with the world? If those people, if they would just change, then, then the world will be light. John is saying, you need to look at the darkness inside. He invites us to consider how we have loved darkness more than light. How we have, have, have done that. And then to be, to be struck by the awe of his faithful love for us. Knowing and admitting, God, I am the one that has run from you. I have loved darkness. 
It's not about comparing our love for darkness with another person's love for darkness. It's not comparing our wrongdoing with others' wrongdoing. It is about being honest that we have not loved God. We have sought our own comfort and convenience, and yet we see God's love for us, faithful, steadfast, so much that he would die for us in our place. We see God's love. We see also God's sacrifice for humanity. You see, it's not just God's love at a distance. It's not that he just looks at us in a distance and feels this heart, you know, heartfelt warmth for us. He shows us what true love is. It is this true love is a self-giving love. Not only did God love the world, but he gave his own son as a sacrifice for us. This passage can, can hardly be more clear about why Jesus came into the world. And, and I th- that's what I like about it. I think that's what everyone likes about it. That's why John three sixteen is is so compelling and so memorable. It, it's so clear. He came into the world so that Jesus would be the remedy for our sin. He would be the remedy for those who are already condemned by sin. Those who are judged by sin, he's the remedy. He's the solution. He's the one who saves us. The most cherished of all passages in the Bible, John 3.16, is also one of the most challenged passages even among Christians. Even among Christians get it wrong. You might say our culture might say that, if, if, you know, if God is so loving, then he would provide a, a plethora of options, a smorgasbord of options to rescue us from our state of condemnation. If God were so loving, you know, he, would, he wouldn't make it like a Chick-fil-A that says you can have chicken or chicken. He would make it like the Cheesecake Factory. It says, here's 72 pages of options for you. What do you want? What makes you happy? See, if God were so loving, he would give us an endless amount of options for us to find a solution to the pain that we are in. And some think that God should, be, should not be so narrow-minded and exclusive to say, you know, if you want to be saved, you have to have faith in my son that I'm sending you and there's no other way. This beautiful passage tells us that God loved the world that did not love him back. How much did he love the world? The beautiful passage tells us he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son for us. And you may be one of the, you may be one of the people that wrestle with this idea and the Bible's claim that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You may be one of the people that even wrestle with that or have wrestled with that or aren't really sure about, well, what about all the other people who don't know Jesus and don't believe in Jesus, never heard of Jesus? But when we truly understand the state of the world and the state of our hearts and God's judgment for sin, then the question is not, why is there only one way to be saved, but rather, why is there ever one way at all? Why is there even one way at all? This is why this passage is so beautiful, is that God made the way. He sent his one and only son. God did not love the world so much that he sent multiple ways to be saved. He loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What does that mean? What does that mean to believe then in Jesus? To believe in this is as easy as ABC. Yes, it is. Acknowledging and believing and confessing. 
It is about acknowledging that we need him. It is about believing that, that he offered his life on the cross for us. It's confessing that your trust in Jesus and his righteousness alone for your rescue. John describes here what true belief looks like. It looks like coming to the light. That's what he says. He says, those who, who do truly believe come to the light and not just in this morbid, you know, like post-mortem way of like, come to the light. You know, that, that's weird, right? It's like, come to the light. No, coming to the light is, is about turning from darkness and turning towards Jesus. Coming to the light is turning from darkness and turning towards Jesus. True, coming to the light is true repentance. True repentance. Repentance is like hydrogen peroxide. You pour it on a wound, it stings at first, and then it heals. It brings healing. Repentance is about admitting that you're wrong and that's hard to do. Repentance is about seeing Christ and his life and God's commands and saying, yeah, I should be like that, but I'm not. And then seeing him on the cross and saying, I deserve to be up there, but I'm not. He died in my place. I need him. I have rebelled against God. I do love darkness more than the light. And it stings and it hurts, but then that admission, that repentance, that trust in him, it brings healing, it brings life, it brings restoration. That's how repentance works. It creates inner turmoil and then it brings restoration. Verse 18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You see, the justice of God means that those who do not receive Jesus as the only remedy for their salvation get what they deserve. The justice of God means that those who love darkness get darkness. The mercy of God means that those who trust in Jesus as their only hope for salvation get the love of God despite what they deserve. And the grace of God means that forgiveness and eternal life now and forever with Jesus is a gift that we do not deserve. We deserve God's justice. He gives us his mercy and it happens because of his grace. This is a gift. John 3.16 tells us of the greatest gift that we can receive. And it's almost too limiting to say, we should celebrate this at Christmas. We should celebrate this throughout the year. Celebrate this, absolutely. So much more than that though. It's, celebration is not even, it's a word too small to think about how we should respond to this wonderful gift that has been given. I like how Pastor Tim Keller puts it in his Christmas devotional, The Hidden Christmas. He says, we stare dumbstruck, lost in wonder, love, and praise. This is our response to John 3.16. Lost in wonder, awe, praise, love. We give our life as a, as a response of gratitude and praise and obedience, not because we are, have to or have been manipulated to, or just because it's the right thing to do. We do it because our hearts have been filled with the love of God and it overflows into acts of repentance, obedience, praise, worship, and wonder. The willingness of God to send his son for you and me is his guarantee that continues today, that he continues to give himself to you. It is his guarantee that he will not fail you. It is his guarantee that he will be faithful to you. Even when we were at our worst and he ran from us, that's when he loved us most. 
It is his guarantee, Christmas, the memory of Christmas and celebrating this and the birth of Christ and his life and death and resurrection. It is all a guarantee that those who truly believe in him will get eternal life that starts now and lasts and forever. Forgiveness, adoption into his family, the blessings of heaven. We will share in the inheritance of Christ as if we had done nothing wrong. We get God's full affection and love. Right here, right now, wherever you are, he is willing to love you at your very absolute worst. Right here, right now, he is willing to forgive you over and over again. Come to the light who is Christ and worship him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.